Hey, everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Together, we're exploring the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. The reality is what I've learned is that the women who are incarcerated actually have like a very strong resolve. People have said pretty awful things to them. So the fact that I'm there and like caring and having a human to human relationship with them gives them a lot of comfort. Today's guest is the Reverend Lane Brubaker, founder of Hagar's Community Church, a congregation of the Olympia Presbytery on the inside of the Washington Correction Center for Women. Today, we'll talk about faith, restoration, and life inside the walls of the largest women's correctional facility in the state. I'm really excited (laughs) that you're here today with us to talk about um, your church and your ministry. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Lane, would you tell us about your context there in the Pacific Northwest? Yes. So Hagar's Community Church is a congregation on the inside of the Washington Correction Center for Women which is the largest women's prison in Washington state. So yeah, so it's an interesting context. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I think a lot of us, um, I mean, we all have different images that come to mind when we think about correctional facilities. Like some mm-hmm. of us have been inside, some of us have um, been incarcerated, um, some of our listeners, I suspect, and others of us have visited them. And um Maybe for some listeners, the type of prison experience you've had is like watching Orange is the New Black. So <laughs> totally. Like um, knowing that that is a popular um, culture experience out there, like is is that a true story? Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that's funny. Before I um, started working in a corrections facility, that was kind of my biggest touch point with corrections was Orange is the New Black. You were a fan? Yeah, definitely. I love the show. Yeah. I, I um, am less of a fan now. I found the most recent season harder to watch. It felt like less of mm-hmm. a break from life <laughs> than it yeah. used to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, this isn't that great. But um, I'll say that I think Orange is the New Black does a good job of giving the incarcerated individual's point of view of incarceration. Hmm. Um, There's some things that go on in the show that I think that the women that I work with would echo. I do think Orange is the New Black is a lot more exciting than what being in prison is really like. There's a lot more going on in that show than what's going on in the day-to-day lives Hmm. of people who are incarcerated generally. Um, What I think the show doesn't get get right is on the side of like the corrections officers or the structure of what a prison is like. I find like the corrections center I work for is just much more organized and much more thoughtful about the people that are incarcerated than what the show kind of shows. Does that make sense? Yeah, that really does. You know, I'm, I'm interested Lane, in that because w- we've talked in previous episodes about what life is like for people in a particular community where a church is being started. And like mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this before as colleagues and friends, like you want, we don't just want to pop up churches somewhere that are like McDonald's franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the same thing everywhere because people's lives are different everywhere. Um, would you, would you walk me through, um, I'm sure it's different for every person, but in general, what it is like to have a day-to-day life as someone living within the correctional facility. Yeah. I mean, the like first off, so the prison I work for, 
um, has all levels of security there. So there's women that are living in maximum security, women living in medium security, and women living in minimum security. And those um, classifications will greatly vary what your life is like while you're incarcerated. Um, so like the women living in the maximum security, they only get two unstructured hours a day outside of their cell. Um, they can do different programming. They have, might have work, school, go to church, but just like time to like take a shower, talk to your friends, play cards, call home. You only get two hours a day to do like those activities. Mm -hmm. And then at medium security, um, there's a little bit more unstructured time where you can be outside of your room. And then at minimum security, your whole day is pretty unstructured and you can have a lot more freedom of movement. Um, but I will say the prison runs a little bit like a high school. There's like, there's movements all day going on. Like, so between nine and nine 15, there'll be like a movement in the morning. And that's like when you would go to work, go to church, go to school. And then from like during those programming times that no one can go anywhere else on campus. So like everything's very structured and very routine. And you, you've been there. This is about your one year anniversary. Yes. And on, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. And you moved from a really different environment on the other side of the country. Absolutely. In New yes. Um, <laughs> which you've said is really different um, from where you are culturally mm -hmm. and also just the type of, um, church community that you were a part of starting there. Would you tell us about Okra Abbey in New Orleans? Yeah. So, and, um, so in New Orleans, my husband and I were, um, kind of founders of a new worshiping community called the Okra Abbey. And the Okra Abbey was, uh, a new worshiping community planted in an urban garden. And it was called an abbey over church because we were open, like, five days a week and people could come and go. Um, our worship service was structured around a free meal every week. It was very um, open and fluid. People were coming in and out, um, interacting with the sacred and all sorts of different kind of open sort of ways. So the Oak Abbey was a structure where we had no rules. Basically, we were like in a garden and we could do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. There was pretty much no oversight on the space at all. And then to go from that kind of worshiping community and church plant to planting a church um, in a in a prison, it's the complete opposite. It's like total structure all the time, only only rules. Like everything I bring to church with me has to be searched and scanned to make sure it doesn't have any like contraband in it. Um, like timing, like when worship, like worship has to end at eight forty five. Like there's no grace in that. They have to go. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like an interesting juxtaposition to go from like total non-structure to like total like hyper-structure. Yeah. But in the midst of that, it's like really cool to see the ways in which the Holy Spirit works and brings the sacred and like total opposite kind of um, settings. Yeah. And I love that we're having this conversation because I think every time we lift up the story of a church like Okra Abbey or mm -hmm. Hagar's Community Church, it's like, what? A church? That could be a church mm -hmm. that can be led within that context and inaugurated within that context. Mm -hmm. I think it's... Super exciting and exciting that you've you've done this again. <laughs> like you're you want to do it more, um, which is it can be starting something from scratch can be um, such a blessing because the world is your oyster and it can mm -hmm. be so debilitating because <laughs> the world is your oyster. Exactly. Like you can do anything, right? Exactly. But now you're in this context where you have a structure um, where, as you said 
the things that you bring into the prison are searched. You have certain times and certain places where you can meet the women who are part of this community. Mm -hmm. Do you like it? I actually do. I love it. Um, First off, the women that I have the honor and privilege of getting to be their pastor are some of the most wonderful people I've encountered. Um, So my eyes have really been opened to who in our world is incarcerated. And then also the reality that none of us are the worst mistake we've ever made. We're Mm -hmm. all children of God and holy and beloved. And, um, and so like when you can encounter someone and like get to know them for the more of who they are, it's a truly like sacred experience. Yeah. Um, and then like within the structure too, you know, there's times I was making a presentation at my presbytery and I was saying something about, we have like a corrections officer in the chapel whenever we're having worship and he had come in and asked like some women who were kind of talking and being disruptive to leave the worship. And someone in my, um, in the presbytery presentation was like, I wish I had a police officer that could bring people. <laughs> yes, yes. Get them out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of like a funny, I mean, that's not really true. I, I thought it was kind of disruptive when the correction officer did that. At the same time, it is kind of nice to have like backup. Like I wasn't the bad guy in that situation. Yeah. Um, the officer was. Yeah. yeah. And so it's nice to have that sort of support. Um, but I also find, you know, like a lot of the women look at their incarceration not as um, a terrible thing. They Some of them say like, this time has saved my life. Um, I'm clean for the first time in a really long time. I'm really um, trying to like go to school, go to church, kind of get my life in order so that when I reenter society that I can really um, have like a good go at it. And so that's been also a new thought for me because I kind of thought going into this, like everyone's probably just hates like the situation they're in and like, can't wait to leave. Mm-hmm. And the truth is a lot of them are really like getting a lot out of the time. And I'm, I'm happy to be a part of that mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Do you remember your first day walking in? Yeah. I mean, let's see the first time I went in, it was kind of funny because the first couple of times I went in, cause I had to go to corrections officer training before I was allowed in. So like my first day after, um, Academy, when I kind of had freedom to go around, I wasn't just shadowing somebody. I was like able to be there. And you had spent six weeks before that training. Exactly. So that first day, I just kind of hung out in the chapel and I slowly got to know the women. So like, there's a lot of women who like work in the different like areas of the prison. And so there was like two women in there. One like ran the religious library and one was the clerk and janitor. And so I spent like my first couple days, like just getting to know them. (laughs) And then I branched out from there, but they were like really helpful and kind. And I guess they could probably see like the look on my face, like, okay, she's pretty green. (laughs) Let's give her some. (laughs) (laughs) What did you ask them? What kind of, did you ask for advice? No, I think I was just doing like, you know, very attentive, active listening. Because mm-hmm. I just don't know. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. I was really like hyper concerned about like, oh, I don't want to like make them feel sad or trigger something. But the reality is what I've learned is that the women who are incarcerated actually have like a very, they're, um, they have like actually a very strong resolve. You, They don't get that sensitive, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, people have said pretty awful things to them. So the fact that I'm there and like caring and having a human to human relationship with them pretty much gives them a lot of like comfort and, and ease with me. 
That makes a lot of sense. When you when you gather, so you gather as a community for worship. Mm-hmm. Would you walk me through how everybody gets to um, the space where worship takes place? It just yeah, like when that happens. Yeah, how often? So we have worship every Saturday. Um, from 1930 to 2045 because prisons run on military time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so that's worship is every Saturday. It's essentially 730 to 845 is worship every Saturday night. Okay. Um, Hmm. The hour before that we have Bible study. So we kind of have it set up like very traditional. So we have Sunday school and then we go into worship. Hmm. Um, Currently we have about 30 women that come to Bible study every week. And then Hmm. we have, we have about 130 women that are on the call out for worship. Um, like, and so we've had significant growth in my time at the WCCW. Um, and we've actually grown so big that we actually do two consecutive services now to accommodate all the people because there's not enough space, um, in either chapel for that large of a group to be together. Mm -hmm. So, um, my husband Crawford coordinates a, we call it a contemplative service Yeah. or the other word is quiet church. So the people who are kind of longing for quiet Mm -hmm. and, um, meditation they go to the contemplative service and then i do the contemporary service which is also like loud church so if you want to be more talkative laugh a little more seeing more seeing a lot more like kind of contemporary worship music that happens in there um and like women who are incarcerated can't just like wake up and say like oh i really need to go to church today Hmm. i'll just go like you have to sign up ahead of time to go to anything so, and if you sign up for something and you don't go, then you can get an infraction for not going. Wow. So the women who choose to sign up for Hagar's Community Church are fairly committed to being a part of the community because um, they're saying that they want to come every week. It's kind of hard to get off the list that you're coming once you're on that list. Um, so that group of women are pretty committed to being there. And then once they arrive in the chapel, they have to scan in because you always have to be accounted for. Um, and then they also have assigned seats. So like when you walk in the chapel, there's like numbers <laughs> on the back of every seat mm. and the women have to sit with their unit and in their assigned seat. And this is all because the basis of corrections is safety and security and having to know like literally where every single person is at all times. Um, it it kind of reminds me that the idea of deciding beforehand to come to church is something that um, I used to hear about as a kid. It's like, if you're going to if you haven't decided by Sunday night, whether you're going to church, like there's very little chance that you're actually going to show up, especially mm. in like college or something. Yeah, but you definitely. have, I mean, that strikes me as in some ways a strange benefit of, of growing a community in this, that people are, they make the commitment and there's an accountability within the system that you show up when you said you're going to. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's other Things that are easier or more fruitful mm-hmm. um, since you've been in a variety of churches of yeah. doing Christian community within a correctional facility. I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, I have people from the outside join us in worship pretty much weekly now. People come in as guests. And then I also have some volunteers that come in and help out. And when people from the outside leave, they there's a continuous like theme where people say, wow, that's what church should be like. Like, I feel like I found a community that kind of worships how I've always longed for. Mm -hmm. And I think like what they're getting at is that when you've been, when you've hit the bottom, when you've been judged guilty and said, you have to be set apart from your community, you've kind of like, 
like the things that kind of hold you back from being honest and humble and like full of pride are kind of gone. Mm. And so when the women come together and worship, there's just a sense of um, authenticity and truth that comes out and just like a really beautiful way. And people, it's pretty raw. It's pretty vulnerable. um, And it's, and it just is really true. And so the way that the Holy spirit kind of moves within the reality of where these women are, it's, it's really remarkable. When you think about how that truth and vulnerability is manifested, what comes to mind for you within the worship service? I think it's manifested and watching a community come together and to watch worship. I know I'm like using buzzwords because it's hard to describe. Um, It just feels very authentic. Mm -hmm. I think like for me as like a pastor and a church planter, I feel very keenly aware that like my role in this place is to hold space. I feel like I'm holding back curtains and then Mm -hmm. like the women and God like do the work. And it's just really remarkable to like witness that happening each week. As you could go to church on a Sunday morning and we could be reading this powerful passage of scripture or talking, Mm -hmm. talking about vulnerability and authenticity, but then we're all like sitting in their stone face. (laughs) We're like, I always laugh when the call to worship is like, clap your hands, all you people. And then we're just like standing there. Like once my, uh, my son, Samuel, when he was little, he started to clap his hands and people were like, what are you doing? (laughs) He's like, we just said, clap your hands. It doesn't make sense. Exactly. I would imagine, Mm -hmm. um, that, there's more phys- like more um, body centered response or more like vocal. I'm not sure. Yeah. More emotions present. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so we do communion every week. Mm-hmm. And the first time I had worship, our first like regular scheduled worship service was in January. And it was just me and two other women at our very first worship service. Wow. And I had brought a whole like loaf of sourdough bread for communion, which was a lot of bread for three people. And, um, And so we were like doing communion. It was like a very, actually, it was like one of the most um, like really wonderful worship experiences. It was so like small and intimate and everyone could share. But um, so when I got to communion and did communion, I said, well, we have plenty and you can never have too much of Jesus. So like take as much as you want of this. And then we like sat there for a really long time, like eating a lot of bread together. Mm -hmm. And the women said, they were like, wow, I never get bread like this here because it was like fresh sourdough um and so that's kind of been translated into like a practice that we do i bring in copious amounts of fresh sourdough bread for every worship service and when the women come forward we do intinction i mean they pull off like gigantic loaves of bread but when you think about like that's the body of christ and women are coming forward hungry for the body of christ like and joyful to partake in the celebration it's kind of transformed like the, what the communion table is that it really nourishes us for the week. Like when we come hungry for the bread. And then when I go to like a typical Presbyterian church and we're having communion and people take off the teeniest, tiniest, I don't know why they take off such little tiny pieces of bread. Um, but it's pretty amazing to see like how just, um, genuine, like when the women come forward for communion is, um, what is difficult about this work? either ecclesiologically speaking, establishing a church, or what's personally difficult? I mean, first off, I think starting something from scratch is uniquely difficult. Um, Like there's also, there's exciting parts when people say like, oh, it's like creative new ministry. Um, You get to, 
you know, be creative and like do new things, like what you get to do with church planting. But also what is happening is that you're continuously running into problems that no one's ever had to address before. So you're constantly having to like um, address new issues and come up with new systems and new rules. And, and I would say like, that's been one of the more challenging aspects of thinking how to create a safe, gracious, loving environment that's kind of nestled within the harsh structures of corrections. Um, And then I would also say that the women who are coming together in worship are as diverse as any congregation would be, and they all have different opinions about how worship should be and how they would like to be together. Um, Some people really want to lean more into fellowship time and like talking a lot more. And some people really need quiet and peace. They have like a lot of anxiety. Um, And so kind of like trying to take feedback and incorporate what the women are needing um, in a very diverse way. That's also within this kind of very strict environment. So um, taking the feedback, incorporating it, and then, putting something together that will work within the department of corrections is kind of a kind of like a math test once a week. Will you walk us through how you ended up in Washington? Like um, practically speaking, who pays you? Where does this job description come from? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I was in new Orleans serving as the young adult volunteer site coordinator, the, which is referred to as the YAV program. Um, the Young Adult Volunteer Program is a service corps essentially for the Peace USA. And also while in New Orleans, my husband and I were a part of a church plant called the Okra Abbey. Um, but we had kind of both been feeling the need to kind of look elsewhere. We kind of felt um, it was that God was calling us to something else. And so as I kind of was doing my discernment work and prayerfully considering opportunities. I was on the church leadership connection and I had clicked the tab um, for new worshiping communities, which very rarely has any sort of job opportunities. And I came across um, this one. I remember it was the Friday before Mardi Gras, which is a big deal in New Orleans. (laughs) I was um, on the website and I clicked and there was this job description that came up and it was looking for a church planter to start a worshiping community and the largest women's prison in Washington. And as I read through the, the description, um, I felt like it was almost a miracle had happened because I'd never, in, in my discernment process, I had not seen a job description that felt um, so perfect. Like, just like everything that they had listed on on their MIF was something that I could do and would joyfully love to do. Um, so I quickly like threw together a cover letter and submitted it. Um, but on the side here, the Presbytery had been in discernment about starting this worshiping community for about three years before I ever got involved with it. So this organization called Prison Congregations of America, they had kind of connected with this Presbytery and asked them to discern if they would be willing to start a church at the Washington Correction Center for Women. So the Presbytery had been kind of putting that together. Um, so it was actually a really wonderful opportunity when I kind of came into the picture. I interviewed, obviously like it felt like a perfect match and I've um, definitely have lived into that, but the Presbytery um, kind of created a partnership with prison congregations of America. They started a partnership with the prison. Um, 
so that when I arrived, I wasn't having to kind of show up at the prison and say like, Hey, would you let me in? <laughs> like, would you let me like, talk to the women? But rather there was already kind of a pathway and a runway to get this started. And there was already some funding put together. Although a big portion of my work is funds development and figuring out the long-term sustainability of this congregation. Um, partly because this congregation will never be able to sustain itself the way a traditional congregation can. That's just not possible. Um, so having financial partners is important. Um, but because of the work of the presbytery, a lot of that, the groundwork and the foundation was set for, for me to kind of take it from there. Do you have a favorite Jesus story that seems especially relevant right now? Yeah. So I um, tell people that th- the women and the prison continuously Um, teach and challenge my understandings of who Jesus was and who Jesus has called us to be in the world. Um, I think in the Gospels, Jesus is very clear that we are to visit the prisoner or that we're to go to the prisoner. And having had the opportunity to be present in a prison and to get to know people who are incarcerated, um, I, I get now why Jesus was very insistent about it. And I also like to tell people like... Um, Jesus isn't saying that we're supposed to take Christ to the prison. Jesus is telling us to go find Jesus in the prison. Um, and I, and I also have kind of see Christ's story through these lenses as well. And I tell the women pretty regularly, um, that Jesus experience was not far from their own that like when we do communion, um, we often in our churches like to say on the night, Jesus was betrayed, which essentially Jesus was snitched on by his friend. He was then arrested. He was beaten by police. He was taken and put on trial. He was judged guilty. He was incarcerated. And then he was executed by the Roman state. Um, And that's like, that's Jesus' story. Um, And that's a sacred story to our faith. And that is a story that is um, close at heart for the women in my congregation. And I think that... That's an important thing that we as Presbyterians and as Christians need to hold close to our heart and realize that Jesus is the prisoner, like Jesus was incarcerated. And it's important for us to have a close proximity to those who are incarcerated and not just keep them locked away and far away from sight. So how did you come up with the name for your community? Who is Hagar? Hagar um, is a woman from the Bible. Her story can be found in Genesis 16 and 21. Um, And she is a woman that history and the church has been rather unkind to. Um, She's often associated with words like other woman, slave, wild donkey. Um, She's kind of not remembered for her faith. But the truth is, in reality, when you kind of pull back the curtains of history of interpretation and kind of encounter the text that's there, Hagar is a woman who was kind of trapped in this horrible situation. She was the slave of Sarah, who was given to Abraham to have a child. She does have the child, and then it goes really badly because Sarah gets really jealous. She gets banished a couple times. She becomes an exile. And she has no agency or no real power in any of the situation. Um, However, when she kind of is in the wilderness, like without anything, God shows up for her multiple times. (laughs) And God gives her the exact same blessing that God gives to Abraham, which is that she'll be the mother of a nation and that she'll have descendants upon descendants after her. 
um, and God provides for her. And she's also the first and possibly only person that gives God a name. And she names God the God who sees. And I think that that's a really important story that's foundational to the women, because you can imagine that a lot of women who are incarcerated feel that they've been banished, exiled, erased from the story. Um, But God is a God who sees, and God sees each of them and knows them for who they are and loves them and will provide for them during this time. And then also, we're going to be a congregation of women. That's We're not going to ever have a lot of other coming to our church. And so I was like, we're not going to have a church that's just, that has like some man's name in it. We've got to have a woman's name in our congregation. Um, And so I thought it was important to have a female presence, like right in our name. And then also to have um, a story that's really um, poignant and meaningful for the women. Lane, this has been awesome. I'm really excited to share this story. Thanks for being on the podcast and for doing the ministry you're doing. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy to be here. And thank you for sharing about Hagar. You can learn more about and donate to Lane's work and ministry at hagarscommunitychurch.com. If you feel especially called to the kind of ministry Lane is leading, we hope you'll consider applying to serve as a full-time resident with 1001 next year at Hagar's Community Church. Each year, 1001 partners with new worshiping communities around the country to offer site-based learning opportunities for emerging church planters. Find out more about this and our other upcoming residencies at newchurchnewway.org. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is the fabulous Martha Ames Sanders. You can see and share stories and photos of the humans involved in this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time.